0: Hello, this is Timmy Black, and welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. My phone's been on the fritz, so I haven't been able to soothe myself in my usual ways. I've been finding myself thinking a lot, and I've been thinking pretty deeply, too. I've been asking myself some uncomfortable questions. For example, at what point do we gather the courage and the presence of mind to confront our demons with honest introspection? Like I said, my phone's been on the fritz. Anyway, came up with a pretty simple answer. Probably never. Which got me thinking. A friend of mine, well, a former friend of mine, we're sitting at a bar a few years back and it was one of those rare evenings when artist types, like, like me, like my friend, slumming, I suppose, pretend to be regular guys. You know, we sit around, you, you 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 watch sports on several TVs at the same time and those TVs have 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 color, have color so vivid, so saturated, so clotted and gaudy that you get the impression that instead of watching sports, you're in the middle of a nightmare watching hairy ballerinas who seem to have emerged out of large vats of acrylic paint. Anyway, you're trying to be this regular guy and you're eating. Finger food, some vague meat product dripping in a sticky sauce, something that might be called buffalo wings, though you're fairly sure it has nothing to do with buffaloes, and you're drinking far more than is necessary. Anyway, you're pretending to be this regular guy, and after about the fifth or sixth Scotch and Drambuie, you pass that awkward threshold where small talk starts to meld into a kind of intimate, uncomfortable confession. You don't even know how it happened, but there you are talking to another guy about, well, your feelings. Now, if you know anything about men, Whether they be artists or investment analysts, you know that they don't readily share their feelings. But there I was, drunk, doing just that. I suppose I was complaining. I was complaining about my unfulfilled promise or some other luxury problem that was straining at my self-esteem. And then my buddy, my former buddy, interrupts me and offers me his cold and unsolicited reaction. He said that my problems were invented and that if I would only stop treating my life as if it were a resume, I might actually start being able to enjoy things. Enjoy? Things? He said I could exploit my so-called weaknesses and turn them into art, or even better, enlightenment. He said that my fears, and this is how he put it, I'll never forget his words, he said that my fears were as bland as porridge. Now, putting aside the fact that no one this side of the Atlantic, eats porridge. Who even uses that word in a sentence, porridge? In a a sports bar, no less. Anyway, like all decent college-educated complainers, I immediately started blaming my parents. Well, after that evening, after I resolved never to speak to my buddy again, I made up my mind to go to upstate New York and to visit my dad. Now, I assume my parents were not that unusual in the fact that their marriage was a little bit less than perfect. Mom and dad were sort of indentured to each other. They seem to have had a strange understanding, a kind of treaty, if you will, a treaty whose basic premise was that since life, or their life, was like a highlight reel of successive misfortunes, then their suffering might, might as well be experienced as a couple. Theirs was what you might call an unholy alliance that tolerated in each other the kind of sordid indiscretions that would make abstinence seem romantic. They spent their evenings in silence where only the occasional cough or gurgle from a difficult digestion could momentarily break the spell. They didn't read or watch TV, but preferred instead to sit silently at the dinner table until mom would break the monotony by clearing and then washing the dishes. Dad would have disappeared by the time she was through either to Finn's, the local alehouse a couple of blocks away, or to bed. I found this old trove of photographs from when I was a kid. I keep them now in a shoebox in my studio, buried under a pile of unread back issues of Art in America. They've been there, ignored neglected ever since I moved in about 15 years ago. I'm kind of afraid to look at them. I'm afraid because I'm fairly certain that these old photos will only bear witness to the sad fact that my life has been rather unremarkable. I'm sure that stripped of their sentimental value to me these photos could easily be exchanged with those of a stranger and suffer little consequence. It's the same, I'm afraid, with art. Our ideas are like those family pictures stashed in our neglected drawers. And when we unearth these photos, or as artists, these ideas, we're struck at first at how singular they seem as if we were the first four-year-old ever to eat a birthday cake, or that we invented the tricycle, or that we discovered the possibility that we could pour dirt and confetti on a gallery floor. Our art, to quote an erstwhile friend, is as bland as porridge. And like a fabulous dream or a well-timed defecation, we think that our creations are somehow personal, meaningful, singular, and important. We inflate their importance and presume their universality. But in truth, I'm afraid we're probably deluding ourselves. And maybe the most enduring cultural artifacts of our time will turn out not to be our work, but to be eBay, HQ Trivia, and the pocket call. That's all the prophecy we have time for, so please join us next week as I offer a meek rebuttal to my dire predictions on the next episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists.